On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we will get to plenty of Bruins. Don Sweeney spoke at immediate availability this morning prior to the draft, so you will get to some of the comments that he made. We will also get to the expansion draft results, take a look at Seattle's selection of Jeremy Lozon, what that means for the Bruins as an organization. We'll also take a look at the rest of the Seattle roster as the expansion draft happened last night. We will take a look at all their picks. We will also get to a small preview of the NHL entry draft that will take place on Friday. And then we will also get to some news and notes from around the NHL. We will also get to the Patriots and do a training camp preview as the Patriots will open up camp next week. We'll take a look at some rookies to watch, some position battles, and the ongoing situation with Stefan Gilmore. We will also get to some news and notes from around the NFL, including the Cowboys being on HBO's Hard Knocks this preseason. We will also then get to the NBA and recap the NBA Finals as the Bucks are NBA champions, and we'll take a look how they did that, and maybe potentially what the Celtics can emulate from the Bucks championship run. We will also get to an Olympic basketball preview, take a look at some players to watch from the United States and from other countries. We'll also get to some news and notes from around the NBA. Then we will get to the Red Sox and talk a little bit about their open to the second half. Um, Take a look at their big series coming up against the Yankees this weekend. We'll also get to uh, Jaron Duran, who hit his first career home run a couple nights ago, got his first hit in his first game. So we'll talk about what his impact means for the Red Sox. We will also get to uh, an update on Chris Sale, who has thrown some uh, rehabs, has thrown some uh, rehab games in Portland. So we'll get to that, and then we will also get to some news and notes from around Major League Baseball, and then we will close out with a little bit of an Olympic preview, and we'll get to an update on the Revolution. Let's go. going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i'm your host garrett hayden you can listen to the podcast on spotify and on apple podcast and you can uh, follow our twitter and facebook page you can also follow along with uh, my written content at garrett garrett hayden sports media i'll be putting out a new article tomorrow on uh, players to watch at Patriots training camp that, believe it or not, starts next week. It's uh, pretty crazy that it's uh, come very quickly. It's uh, crept up on me, really, um, over the last couple weeks. Um, With the NBA Finals, you know, going into this week, expansion draft last night, all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it is almost that time for training camp. 
Uh, so we'll get into the Patriots later in the episode. Um, today, we'll also get into plenty of Bruins stuff. Uh, there's plenty of news um, in that regard. There's also some you know, basketball stuff. We'll talk about uh, the finals, a lot of stuff about the Red Sox. So um, we'll just get into it. I think uh, we'll start talking about the Bruins. We'll get to the expansion draft. Uh, but first, I think it makes sense uh, to talk about Don Sweeney and his media availability this morning in advance of the draft. Uh, made some interesting comments about potentially the direction of uh, what the Bruins are possibly thinking in free agency. So um, obviously there's been the report in the last day or so uh, that the Bruins and Taylor Hall are getting very close to a contract extension. Uh, it is rumored to be four years uh, for $6 million per season. Um, you know, I think that that's great. I think that that's perfect. Um, you know, I know that there are some people wary of giving him, you know, a five-year deal, which, you know, is a pretty significant commitment to a player like that. And, you know, the fact that the Bruins were able to do this reasonable term, reasonable money. Now this is, you know, assuming that that's what the contract is, you know, it might be a little bit different possibly, but I think that it's, it's an excellent job. By the Bruins, you know, I think Taylor Hall has made it pretty clear from, you know, almost the minute that he got here that this is where he wanted to be. So um, not really surprised. You know, I think that maybe some people might haggle over the money like, oh, is he really worth six million? You know, me personally, I, I had him at five years, five point seven five million. You know, I think four for six is good. Also, you know, he's 29 kind of in the. I wouldn't say the prime of his career exactly, but, you know, maybe a little bit later than that. But um, I think that he has found a home with the Bruins and, you know, really was spectacular for the most part um, in his tenure with the Bruins. You know, obviously in the regular season after the trade from Buffalo, he was really good in the first round series against the Capitals, certainly kind of leveled off, leveled off um, against the Islanders in the second round, which, you know, I think almost everyone did to be perfectly honest. So I don't think that it's, you know, a big detriment, but I think that this is a good, reasonable contract. You know, it's nothing too crazy. You know, I think that gives them a player that can be a big time player for the team now in, the, you know, in the next season or two with the Bruins, you know, being in a situation where I think that really just the next two seasons are critical for them if they really want to, um, see if they can get another championship out of this core group of players. But then he's also signed for the foreseeable future, and he can maybe be a part of, you know, what the Bruins look like after some of these um, big-name players potentially move on. So that is that is the rumor at the moment, four years for $6 million. You know, obviously that will be um, something that probably I think will get finalized. You know, Sweeney has said that they've made tremendous progress on that contract. So I think that that's um, good to hear. So uh, most of the comments he made, um, Ty Anderson made a number of, uh, or did a series of tweets about uh, what Sweeney said during the um, pre-draft availability. So uh, one of the things that Ty Anderson tweets um, that Sweeney acknowledges the Bruins are going to have to add one or two defensemen uh, with a focus on hard minutes, and Sweeney said that they uh, will be try to be aggressive on that front. So, um, 
you could see the Bruins being, you know, very active going after someone like a Ryan Suter. You know, I think that that's um, a pretty obvious fit, to be perfectly honest. You know, obviously the age is a little concerning. The foot speed's a little concerning, but I think that he's still a guy that can play heavy minutes and really can play in almost every situation. You know, and I think that that's one of the things the Bruins are looking for, someone who can play all situations. And he still can, you know. I think that if the Bruins are looking to bring him in, at the very most, they're bringing him in for two years. So, you know, it's not really something that, oh, the Bruins are going to give a, you know, bona fide top pair, second pair defenseman a five-year deal because there's really not, you know, I think that there are defensemen that they can sign, but I mean, someone like Dougie Hamilton, they're not signing um, for a multitude of different reasons. But I think that, you know, trying to find someone for that role, you know, there's not a lot of options. You know, it's not like there are many different options. You know, I think Suter makes sense. I think that Keith Yandel makes sense to an extent. You know, I think that he was he would be someone that you would bring into play probably your third pair of minutes. But, you know, also you can probably get Mike Riley to do that too. So um, I could see the Bruins signing someone like Ryan Suter and then seeing if they can uh, get a right shot defenseman um, that can play, you know, heavy minutes, as Sweeney says. You know, someone like Zach Bogosian, you know, who's a big body guy who can play physical, good penalty killer, you know, very similar player to Kevin Miller. Um, I could see the Bruins signing someone like that as well. Um, there's still no update on um, a decision for David Krejci, who, you know, I think is mulling whether to return to the Bruins, unlikely a one-year deal, or... Uh, play over in the Czech Republic where he's from. Um, so, you know, I think it's really, I think that it, it's important for us to, you know, respect David's decision in no matter what he does. You know, I think that we as hockey fans, you know, thinking about the Bruins, obviously I think if he decides not to come back, then it creates a pretty big hole um, at that second line center, which I don't think the Bruins really internally have someone that can, you know, be ready to take that mantle up. You know, I think that there was some, some hoping that, you know, the Bruins could be able to use Jack Stadnika a little bit more frequently last year, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And so I think, you know, the Bruins are really left in a situation where um, they kind of can't afford David Krejci to not come back. But, you know, we'll see. You know, I think if he does return, you're likely seeing him on a one-year deal, possibly a two-year deal. Um, but I just think that, you know, you could see him returning to go say, okay, let's try this. Let's try to make a run one more time. But I just think, you know, based on some of the comments he made specifically about his family, I wouldn't think that he would be someone that, you know, would play for the Bruins for more than a season. Um, and just some other thoughts um, from Sweeney mentioned that um, they're going to probably look to add to the goaltending group and have a veteran presence there, uh, obviously with Tukarask out probably until January or so uh, with the hip surgery and uh, Vladar and Swayman, the only goalies the Bruins have signed at the moment. So um, I think that's fairly obvious. You know, I think you look into adding a veteran presence like a James Reimer, um, or someone similar to that, you know, I think that um, my personal strategy, I think, would be to sign someone to, you know, a, a very, very cheap deal 
um, and then see if you can flip that person at the trade deadline um, or flip them at a certain point to a team that uh, might be desperate for goaltending uh, once Tukaras comes back. So um, I think that will be interesting to see who the Bruins bring in. You know, I don't really think it matters all too much because I think that, you know, you have Swayman and Vladar, who I think more than, are more than capable, you know, of being decent or giving you decent NHL goaltending for the first few months. You know, obviously they're not guys that the Bruins are comfortable with starting, you know, from the start of the season until whenever Rask comes back. Um, but I think that no matter who they bring in, you know, I think it'll just be someone solid and you can, you know, get by with that goaltending for the first few months. I really don't think that it's going to be a huge issue, you know, depending on who they bring in. Um, and then just some other stuff from um, Sweeney. They do remain in talks with Mike Riley. So that brings up another, that brings, you know, brings me back to the point of, you know, signing someone to play on that third pair. You know, I think it might make sense for the Bruins to bring bring back Riley with the idea that he plays um, on, the bottom, on the bottom pair. You know, I think that for the most part, you know, like Taylor Hall, he was really, really good in his, you know, brief time with the Bruins last season. Um, but I think that, you know, after the Bruins had the injuries to Carlo and to Miller in that second round series, he looked a little bit overmatched, you know, playing on that second pair. So I think, you know, he's a good player to have, but I think that him being comfortable in the role that, you know, he should be in, I think is going to be better, better than him having to play, you know, a larger role. Um, but I think that it makes sense to bring him back. I think that he was solid enough uh, defensively and obviously I think is a really underrated you know, offensive player. I know that that's kind of what he's known for, but, you know, it gives them kind of another playmaking option um, other than Rizlik and McAvoy. So um, I think you try to bring him back. You know, I think that there might be other teams that come knocking and offer him a more lucrative deal, and I could see him taking that elsewhere. Um, but I think that if I'm the Bruins, I would like him to return. But I think that, you know, if there's a contract that comes along that's a little bit too much, I don't think the Bruins should should be overpaying. Um, and then rehashing the point about um, adding to the blue line that they want they, that the Bruins want an all situation left-handed defenseman. Um, and then finally, this was the most interesting uh, statement that Sweeney said that uh, the Bruins will extend qualifying offers uh, to Nick Ritchie, Zach Senishin, and Andre Kasha. Um, so that, to me, was most interesting. I'm not very surprised on Richie. Um, I think that, you know, there's a possibility that they could re-sign him. Um, I would be very careful not to overpay him um, because I think that while he's been all right, you know, with the Bruins, you know, I think he did a lot better last season, but he's not been a very good playoff performer and is not really someone that, is does not play as physical as the Bruins would like him to play. You know, if that's really what his role is, you would think that he'd be a little bit more aggressive in that area. So um, obviously this doesn't necessarily mean that the Bruins are bringing these guys back. It just means that um, a qualifying offer is kind of the first like negotiation or first, you know, contract that you can offer. And it basically says that, um, the team that extends the qualifying offers to their, you know, players, it gives them the right to, you know, be the team that negotiates with that player. 
Um, so this doesn't mean that the Bruins are signing Kasha for for that qualifying offer. You know, there's a possibility that they could sign him for a lesser contract. I'll be honest, I'm shocked. Um, I don't really think that he has he made enough of an impact when he was healthy um, to really, you know, and I don't want to say he doesn't deserve a qualifying offer. I'm not trying to say that, but I think, you know, he wasn't as much of a difference maker as I think the Bruins were hoping he would be. And obviously some of that is due to injury. Some of that is something that's out of his control. So, you know, I just think that the Bruins need to they can't rely on him to kind of be that second-line wing. They need to go sign someone. Um, I just, at this point, he's not someone that you can expect a whole lot from. You know, Senegin is a guy that, you know, obviously first-round pick has not really panned out um, in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, I don't think it, it hurts, really, to, to, to extend the offer to him. Um, you know, Richie... I'll be honest, I think if the Bruins do end up re-signing him, I'm not going to be super upset about it, but it can't be anything that's exorbitant. Um, I think that that would be a mistake. So uh, we'll see kind of what's going to happen with those three guys. Um, but I'll just be honest, I'm a little surprised that they um, extended that offer to Kasha, who you know has not played a game since uh, January. So it'll be interesting to see what their what their thought process is. With that, so we will move on to the other big piece of Bruins news last night. Seattle Kraken selecting Jeremy Lozon from the Bruins. Obviously, this was um, one of the players that a lot of us figured Seattle would take. Um, so I think, you know, it's the Bruins, I think, were in a better position than a lot of other teams that the Bruins were not in position that they were going to lose, you know, one of their best, most talented players. Um, but at the same time, you know, losing a player like Lausanne, who has pretty good potential, you know, was a second-round pick in 2015, you know, played in Providence for quite a while, um, and, you know, played a lot of regular minutes last season. Um, you know, played 41 games, had that hand injury that kind of affected him toward the end of the regular season, and into the playoffs, um, you know, I always thought that he was a solid player that, you know, gives you potential, someone that, you know, can, could potentially play heavy minutes, you know, um, could potentially uh, play heavy minutes at all, you know, maybe not right now, but, you know, later in his career, maybe when he develops a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I think that it's, Thinking or considering the players that Seattle had to choose from, I think from their perspective, Lausanne was the best possible player they could take. Um, I think if you're, I think if if you're the Bruins, I think that you would have preferred them to take Connor Clifton, um, just because I think Lausanne is higher potential. You know, he's a player that has the potential to be a regular top four defenseman. Connor Clifton, you know all respect to him, you know, is a bottom pair defenseman, and that's probably all he's going to be. You know, he did have a lot of games last year that he played in the top four, but I just think that, you know, Lausanne is the better player. He's, you know, more 
more potential, and he's and he's cheaper than Clifton. You know, arguably cheaper for a player that you know could can could be better in a larger role. Now, I know a lot of us, a lot of people that I know, you know, pinned a lot on Lausanne and said, you know, this kid sucks or whatever. Made some mistakes, you know, made that big mistake um, in that overtime loss to the Islanders in the second round. Um, but, you know, it's all part of kind of the growth process. And the Bruins, you know, asked a lot of Lozon last season. And for the most part, you know, he did pretty well. You know, I think that asking him to do what he did, playing a lot in the, on the top pair with McAvoy for most of the season, um, you know, he had some moments that he wasn't great, but that's the risk the Bruins were willing to take last season to give ice time to the younger players. And for the most part, it worked. You know, I know a lot of us want to say, oh, like it failed miserably because they lost to the Islanders. But it's like, I'll be honest, that's not why they lost that series. They lost that series because they lost two of their best penalty killers, two of their better defensemen, and couldn't score goals. And I just think that a lot of us kind of have this thought process that because the Bruins lose in the playoffs and lost before we thought they would, you know, we have to go back and be like, oh, well, they did this wrong. And, you know, I don't know. I just think that for the most part, it was successful. For the most part, the Bruins were one of the best best teams on the penalty kill last season. Lausanne was a big reason why. So I think it's, you know, second year in a row, you are losing one of your best penalty killers. You lost Chara last year. Didn't really hurt them this past season as they played pretty well in the penalty kill second or th- second or third in the league in penalty kill percentage, and now you lose Lausanne. And I just think that it's not, it's not the worst loss in the world to lose him, but I think some people acting like good, like he sucks, I think you're being a little bit premature, and I don't really think... I, I just disagree with you. You know, I think that it's... Um, fairly obvious that Lausanne is a better potential player than Connor Clifton. I don't really think you should be arguing about that, but, you know, here we are. You know, I think that it's, I think that from the Bruins' perspective, it's the player that they probably least wanted to lose. But, you know, then again, this does underscore that the Bruins are going to have a need for help on the left side. You know, I know that if Seattle had taken Clifton, the Bruins also would have been very thin on the right side. Um, but I think that, you know, you are really hoping that a player like Zaboral makes a big jump in camp. Um, not to say that he will necessarily start, but I think that, you know, you want him to be a decent kind of extra defenseman, assuming that that's the, the um, direction the Bruins go in. So um, Lausanne gets taken. I think it's a great pick by Seattle. Um, gives them a good young defenseman who can play big minutes if you need him to. Um, and he's signed on a really cheap contract. And I think that's also the other reason why the uh, Seattle went in Lausanne's favor instead of Clifton, because he's making considerably less money, you know, which is kind of amazing if you think about it, um, that I think Lausanne was a bigger part of the Bruins defense last year than Clifton was. Um, so, you know, the Bruins were going to lose a decent player. You know, it could have been a lot worse. They could have lost someone like Craig Smith. Um, but I think that it's, it is what it is. You know, I think that there was some thought that 
uh, the Bruins should, you know, expose Jake DeBrusque. I didn't really see the logic in that. Um, but I would assume that Bruins are going to look to trade him um, in the offseason, just kind of give him a fresh start, see if they could get a disgruntled player in return. Uh, maybe they get a couple picks, you know, who knows. That will be an interesting situation to watch. Free agency starts next week. So I think it makes sense for us to look at the rest of Seattle's picks last night. So uh, Lausanne actually was the first player that was picked. They went um, in terms of divisions. So they started with the Atlantic, went in alphabetical order, which was a little strange because they, um, you know, avoided the teams that started with the letter A. And I was like, okay, what's going on there? So um, obviously had that special on ESPN last night. I thought it was cool. I thought some of the uh, pick reveal uh, things, whatever you want to call it, were kind of creative and kind of cool. So um, I don't know. It wasn't perfect. Like I know that Chris Fowler uh, screwed up and called the, the Hurricanes the Panthers, but you know, I don't know. It, it was a fun thing to watch, and, you know, I'm not really going to nitpick about, like, oh, it wasn't that cool. Like, it was stupid, and it's like, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't really want to go any further about it, but I feel like should cut ESPN a little bit of slack um, with them covering hockey for the first time in 15 years. Um, but I thought it was neat. I thought it was neat to... Um, you know, incorporate some of the kind of local uh, traditions, local areas in Seattle, uh, which was cool. So uh, taking a look at the players, um, don't think I'm going to go like alphabetical team by team. Um, So we will start on the roster because there are a couple players that are, you know, non-roster players technically, but we'll get to them um, in a moment. So I think We'll start looking at the forwards and kind of the players who are probably going to be um, the biggest difference makers for this team. Um, It is also worth noting that Seattle um, is left with about 28 million or 29 million in cap space. So there is a possibility that they fill out their roster and sign some players in free agency. So, you know, the players that we talk about may not necessarily start the season with the team they could get traded it's a possibility Uh, but we'll get into it from the islanders seattle takes jordan eberly i was very surprised that the islanders chose to expose him they chose to uh, protect matt martin and cal clutterbuck which you know yeah they're a big identity part of the team but i think you'd want to protect eberly so um pretty Fairly obvious choice, I think, there. Uh, Yanni Gord was the choice from the Lightning. Kind of between him and um, Alex Kalorn, I think. But the thing with Gord, I think that he's um, a very good kind of centerman. And there weren't a whole lot of great centers that were available in the draft. So I think that's the direction that they went. He can also play uh, the other wing positions as well. Um Jonas Donskoy was picked from the Avalanche, is a really solid underrated player, so I kind of like this pick. Um, I'd be curious to see where he ends up in the lineup. Uh, Brandon Tanev was taken from Pittsburgh. Um, You know, I like this pick. I think that they probably could have gone in a different direction, 
Um, but I think that he's a player that, you know, will be effective, will definitely be a fan favorite. Uh, Jared McCann from Toronto, I think this was one of the most obvious picks um, in the expansion draft. So good good choice there. Um, they got Kelly Yarncroke, Yarncroke from the Predators, uh, really solid two-way forward, a really cheap contract. That kind of was a bit of a theme um, on this roster last night. Tyler Pitlick was taken from Arizona. Mason Appleton from the Jets, I really like that pick. I think that he's going to be um, a difference maker uh, for Seattle this season. Uh, Nathan Bastian from the Devils. Colin Blackwell from the Rangers. That was a pick that I got right. Um, I didn't do great on the uh, expansion draft. If you guys checked out the uh, um, my like mock draft I did earlier in the week, I did all right. You know, I picked some players actually. Um, didn't do as well as I thought I was going to. Uh, Carson Tawarinski from the Flyers. That that was a pick that really surprised me. I really thought that they were going to go and get someone like James Van Riemsdyk, but obviously they go a different direction. Um, and then in terms of the non-roster forwards that they picked, uh, John Quinville from the Blackhawks, Morgan Geeky from the Hurricanes, Cole Lind and Alex True from uh, Colorado, uh, Vancouver, and San Jose, respectively. Not a lot of options on either of those rosters. So uh, Seattle takes, you know, younger players, you know, restricted free agents. Remains to be seen whether they'll bring either of those guys back. You know, it might just be they just had to take someone. Um, and goalies will do that real quick. Joey Decord was taken from Seattle. A minor league goalie definitely has the potential to be a potential starter one day, but the two kind of goalies that we'll probably see in Seattle for most of the year, uh, Chris Drieger was taken and then was signed to a new contract, um, and then Vitek Vanacek was taken from the Capitals. So in all likelihood, Drieger is going to be the starter, Vanacek probably the backup, um, and Decord probably will play um, in the AHL most of the season, you know, unless there's there's an injury. So no forwards were signed after they were picked. There were some defensemen um, that signed new contracts uh, before being picked or as they were being picked, whatever you want to say. Um, Kale Fleury and Gavin Bayreuther, the two non-roster defensemen um, at the moment. So they were taking Kale Fleury from Montreal, right shot defenseman, and Gavin Bayreuther from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then in terms of the uh, roster defensemen at the moment, uh, Mark Giordano, kind of the, um, not sure what to say, kind of like the pick that was kind of the most uh, publicized, I guess, um, as he was the former captain in Calgary for a number of years. In all likelihood, he will probably become the new captain, become the first captain um, in Kraken history, so he was taken, um, you know, at 37, is pretty old, you know, does have a pretty big contract, but um, is definitely still an effective player, you know, won the Norris Trophy a couple of years ago, a really solid, really good leader, good player to have in the room, um, and I think, you know, still can perform at a somewhat decent level, so it's not like, you know, they're getting an old player with a big contract who's not good anymore, he's still a very solid player. Um, 
and you know only under contract for one season. In all likelihood, he doesn't return, but we'll see. Uh, Jamie Alexiak was taken from the Stars, and then he was signed to a five-year contract worth about $23 million, if I'm not mistaken. A little bit high on that, you know, $4.6 million cap hit over the next five seasons. A little too much for a player like that, if you ask me. Um, there were some links to the Bruins, but I'm glad the Bruins didn't offer him a contract like that. Um, Adam Larson also signed a contract after being drafted uh, from Seattle four years for $16 million. So $4 million a season, a pretty good, reasonable deal uh, for someone like that. They also get Carson Soucy from the Wild. The Wild doing a little bit of a little bit of kind of reworking the roster as they were able to uh, protect Matt Dumba. So Susie gets taken. Um, Hayden Fleury gets taken from the uh, Ducks. And yes, Hayden Fleury and Kale Fleury are brothers. So that will be kind of interesting to uh, to follow. See if maybe they play on a defense pair together um, at some point. So that's kind of interesting. Obviously, Lausanne from the Bruins, uh, Curtis McDermott from the Kings. Um, and then they drafted a couple of restricted free agents um, in terms of defensemen. Vince Dunn, really liked that pick. Will Borgen from the Sabres, and then Dennis Chalowski from the Red Wings. So, you know, I think that Seattle put together a decent team. You know, I think that there are some people that thought that they, you know, may have screwed up on a couple picks. You know, there were a lot of people that were shocked to learn that there were no you know, trades made, but I think that it doesn't surprise me because I think that um, GMs kind of saw what happened with Vegas four years ago and, um, you know, didn't really want to get potentially swindled by them, you know, but I don't know, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. I think that, you know, just looking at the roster from the bare bones, they're a team that probably can compete in that Pacific division, Pacific division, just because a lot of those teams are kind of in rebuilding stages. So I think there's a possibility they could definitely compete. And obviously it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do in terms of free agency because they got a lot of money. Um, But I think that Ron Francis and that group took things very conservatively, which obviously is not super exciting as an NHL fan, but I think that it's, you know, something that gives you long-term flexibility, which I think is all what the NHL is about. So, Um, I think that it was a solid draft, you know, nothing that's going to jump out at you, you know, in terms of a grade, I'd probably give them like a B, a B, like a B minus or a C plus, you know, it's something that is solid. It's something to build on, but I wouldn't say that like you look at that roster and you're like, whoa, this team is a Stanley cup contender. Um, but I think that, yeah, they have a solid chance to make the playoffs, I think. And in that division, you know, obviously it will depend on what free agency looks like. If Seattle does try to bring in a player like Gabe Landeskog, I really wouldn't be surprised if they did make a run at him. It doesn't sound like they'll make a run at Dougie Hamilton, or at least they didn't draft him in the expansion draft. Maybe there's a possibility they could sign him. Um, But those guys, you know, a couple of big-name free agents that could be taken by Seattle. So the other draft taking place this week, the NHL entry draft, uh, the you know legit draft or real draft, whatever you want to call it. Uh, tomorrow night, draft will start with the first round um, at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. So um, a couple of 
couple of American players potentially being taken in the top four. Um, Owen Power from Canada is projected to be uh, the number one overall pick by the Sabres. Um, and then, you know, at the moment, you have Seattle picking second. And possibility that they take uh, Matthew Beniers, who's one of the uh, one of the, if not the top um, American player in the draft um, at number two. So taking a look at the order, you have uh, Buffalo first, Seattle second, Anaheim, New Jersey, Columbus, Detroit, San Jose, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Ottawa. Rounding out the top 10, the Bruins pick is 21st, which is pretty high considering where they've been um, in the past. In the past couple of years, they've kind of been in the high 20s, to, you know, based on where they finished in you know, the regular season in the playoffs. But 21 is pretty high. You know, I think that there's a possibility the Bruins could be um, in line to take a solid player that could be someone that contributes, you know, in the future, you know, with the idea being that they contribute in the future. They're not going to be drafting someone that's going to be playing in the NHL right away. You know, probably it takes them a couple of years. Uh, with the Bruins picking at 21, but from what, I, from what I understand, the Bruins will be in position to maybe select a couple of impact players. Um, we take a look at the one of the mock drafts had the Bruins taking a defenseman. I feel like I clicked on a mock draft yesterday, and then there was a more recent one. Um, to kind of look at the rest of the picks, like it only went to a certain number. Um, but, you know, the Bruins most likely will be able to draft a impact player. You know, I think that it would make sense, in my opinion, I think to go for a, a forward, you know, someone that can that can score goals and be, you know, someone that you don't really have to worry about, but obviously be interesting to see what the Bruins feel their needs are. You know, I think at the moment, obviously the, the pressing needs on the NHL roster, you know, is defense, but I also think you want to try to um, get as many impact forwards as you can in the draft, because I think the Bruins are in a position where, you know, they kind of need more from their, you know, draft picks and their, you know, recent history of drafts, it's not been great. You know, I think that the Bruins need to kind of do a better job of drafting and picking some players that can be impact players, not just out of the gate, but, you know, later on in their career. You know, we're seeing it right now with Jake DeBrusque, who, you know, came out of the gate swinging, was really good in his first couple of years, and then he's kind of leveled off. So, um, you know, I think the Bruins have an opportunity to draft a couple of big-time players. You know, obviously the first-round pick, 21st overall be interesting to see where they go um but i think that you know it's it's a big opportunity in this draft so be interesting to see who the bruins take in the first round um and then the second round will be on saturday that will be all day rounds two through seven starting at 11 a.m on saturday so before we move on just some other notes from around the nhl uh, the schedule will be revealed tonight at 6 o'clock, so uh, tune in for that on SportsCenter. And then obviously it'll probably be all over Twitter, you know, based on how the uh, expansion draft yesterday. It'll probably be some leaks, but 
you know, it's no big deal. You know, I think that there were a lot of people that were upset yesterday about the picks being leaked. But, you know, I don't know. I think the league kind of scheduled it poorly that, you know, the picks had to be in by 11 a.m. yesterday. You know, they didn't announce the picks till 8 o'clock. You know, there's no reason why they couldn't have just given them, you know, I wouldn't say till 8 o'clock because obviously that's not possible. Um, but I think that maybe trying to avoid any leaks. But, you know, it's like I said yesterday on Twitter, it's just people doing their jobs and, you know, tweeting out is tweeting things out is their job. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a little anticlimactic, but, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. I thought the, the, the show last night was neat, um, the setup and all that. So in terms of other news, um, it was announced that uh, Shea Weber will not be will not be playing uh, this upcoming season for the Canadians, um, and there's a possibility that um, he might be done. So that's um, a little a little bit of kind of kind of a bummer, to be perfectly honest. Uh, considering how well uh, Weber and the Canadians did last season, um, also uh, Yanni Gord taken by the Kraken. Uh, will likely be out to start the season as he re- will be recovering from shoulder surgery. Uh, Matt Calvert retired from the NHL today after 11 seasons. So it'll be interesting to see what we see in the, in the draft. And then free agency starts uh, next Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. So obviously... When we record next week, we'll give you a breakdown of everything that's going on. So I think we will move on to talking about the NFL, talking about the Patriots with training camp on the horizon. You have a lot of things to look forward to. Um, All the Patriots rookies have signed their rookie contracts, so they are all ready to go uh, with training camp opening, I believe, next week. I think it's the 27th, so I think it's Tuesday. Um, The Patriots will report at Gillette Stadium. So, again, as I've said, it's going to really be an exciting training camp. A lot of guys, a lot of competitiveness, which I think is great. Um, The Patriots really are a team that I think you'll see a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder this this offseason. They'll be like, hey, we want to prove that last season was a fluke. We can be a good competitive team. We can challenge for the division and possibly go deep in the playoffs. You know, I think that it's... A year that, you know, you should have a lot of optimism, you know, considering where the Patriots were last season, a lot of positions that they've filled in the offseason with picks, with, you know, free agency. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. So I think um, in terms of the rookies worth watching, you know, I think it makes sense to, you know, keep an eye on all of them, to be perfectly honest. I think that uh, there are a couple, though, that will start training camp on the uh, PUP list, I want to say. Or maybe it's not that, but it's some list that the Patriots can activate them at any point. Um, obviously, Cameron McGrone, the linebacker that they picked in the fifth round, likely won't play this season as he's still recovering from ACL surgery. Um, so he was on that list. Uh, I think Josh Bledsoe is also on that list, if I'm not mistaken. The Patriots, uh, one of the Patriots' sixth round picks, the safety out of Missouri. Um, and then. You know, taking a look at the Patriots in terms of the other rookies, 
Uh, Mac Jones, you know, obviously is going to be probably the big one of the biggest names to watch in training camp to see how he does. You know, specifically against Cam Newton, you know, does he look better than Cam? What have you? Um, so I think obviously he'll be the one of the main guys to watch. I think defensively, uh, Christian Barmore is definitely going to be someone to watch. You know, I think that out of all the rookies the Patriots have, he has the best chance to be a regular contributor um, from the start of the season. Um, you know, obviously that could change if Mac Jones is named the starter, then obviously he'll have the most impact, you know. So I'm trying, I think there was, the, oh, it was Ramondre Stevenson was the other player that was on the, um, on that, like there's non-football injury list, I think is what it's called. Um, but these players can be activated at any time. Uh, Stevenson was the Patriots fourth round pick out of Oklahoma, the running back. Uh, could see him on special teams a little bit this season. Um, and then it was a third-round pick. Why am I blanking on the third-round pick? Or maybe it was Ronnie Perkins. That's who the third-round pick was. Um, he'll also be a player that I think has the potential to be an impact player. Um, I think also... Definitely makes sense to keep an eye on Trey Nixon, the uh, seventh round pick. Uh, be curious to see, you know, if he gets used possibly in a in a like kick return capacity. Um, does he get used as possibly a deep threat on, you know, like gadget plays or, or, or something like that? Um, but I would think that he might have a chance to be a little bit of a contributor and most definitely in the preseason. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys contribute in the preseason uh, as the Patriots will try to see what they can do. So um, in terms of position battles, that was one of the things I wanted to touch on today. Obviously, the biggest one is the quarterback one. You know, I'd be joking if I said that this is not the biggest competition, which it is. You know, I think that it's really going to possibly determine the Patriots' success this season. You know, not not based on who gets the job, but I think based on how whoever is the starting quarterback, you know, performs. Um, I think that it's Cam Newton's job to lose. I kind of have said that from the beginning. You know, I think unless it's painfully obvious that Mac Jones completely outplays him um, in training camp by a wide margin, then the Patriots, I think, will have no choice but to name him the starter. But I think unless that happens or unless Cam Newton suffers some injury, he's most likely going to be the quarterback uh, to start the season. That doesn't mean, however, though, that the you know battle is not going to be interesting. I think that they will be the two guys to watch. Be interesting to see what Stidham can do. Uh, also, you know, I think he's someone to watch too. And I think, you know, has a great mindset that he's going to come in and try to win the starting job. Now he probably won't, but I think that to have someone with that mentality, I think is only going to help push the other guys, you know, and get Cam Newton and Mac Jones to play even better, knowing that they have maybe not someone breathing down their neck, but someone that's, you know, kind of waiting in the wings to see, oh, you know, can he maybe get some reps? So um, training camp will be interesting. I think preseason is going to be very interesting to see kind of who gets more of the snaps. That will probably probably be dependent on who performs well um, in training camp. Um, but I think that that's probably going to be the most exciting battle. Um, another kind of battle that I think will be interesting is the battle for left guard. 
um, and what the Patriots decide to do at that position. Obviously, Patriots losing Joe Tooney to free agency to the Chiefs, um, but I think that they have some interior linemen that will probably be battling for that position. I think uh, Ferentz, uh, Justin Heron, potentially, uh, Ted Karras, um, and, as, and Isaiah Wynn. I think that uh, part of the reason why the Patriots traded for Trent Brown um, is to move Isaiah Wynn back to his initial kind of position that he was drafted at left guard. So I think that's what you're going to see happen at left left guard. That's just my, you know, first glance opinion that I think they try to move Trent Brown to left tackle and then they move Isaiah Wynn back to the interior. And so you have a line of Trent Brown, um, Isaiah Wynn, uh, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, and then Micah Wenu or whoever plays on that right tackle position. Um, so I think that's probably where you're going to see, but that battle is going to be very interesting as you have like three or four guys that are probably going to compete and probably will get some snaps, you know, at that position as the Patriots try to replace it. But I think the most obvious answer to me is moving Isaiah Wynn back to the interior where, you know, that was the position that he was drafted at, played a bit at left tackle the last two seasons. Um, it was interesting to note that, you know, of all the or most of the, the regular linemen, you know, played at least 10 games. So you were fairly healthy, you know, with the line. But I think that, you know, that's an area that the Patriots really have to watch carefully. Um, in terms of injuries, you know, I think that there are always injuries that happen um, on the line. Uh, the Patriots also had brought in Alex Redman, who is a guard, uh, played at UCLA as a fifth-year pro. So he probably will get some looks at that left left guard position as well. Uh, wide receiver is also very interesting to me. You know, I think that it's obvious that you will see Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, you know, battle for battle for that playing time. You know, Jacoby Myers, I think, is going to be a player that, you know, is going to make a name for himself. I think Isaiah Zuber is a very, like, underrated receiver to watch. He was used a little bit last season, but I think he's probably the most underrated receiver that I think you could feasibly kind of make a name for himself. You know, obviously Nikhil Harry is still on the roster, but probably will get traded at some point. Um, but I think that, you know, Bourne is probably going to be the guy that you see him, or is probably going to be the guy that gets the most catches, I think, from this unit. I think Myers also could be another guy that gets a lot of targets. You know, Aguilar, I think, will as well. But I think that him kind of being more of a speed kind of deep threat guy. I think that he maybe doesn't see as many looks as like a Bourne or a Myers, you know, who are going to be guys that are going to make catches on the short to intermediate routes. Um, I think that that's going to be an interesting battle to watch. And, you know, what impact does Trey Nixon make? You know, how do the Patriots use a Gunnar Olszewski? Do they use him primarily as the kick return guy? Yeah, I think that that would uh, make sense. Um, but I think Zuber is a guy to keep your... As, is a name to keep your eye on in camp. I think linebacker is going to be the most, uh, kind of the most like underrated position battle that I think is going to be really, really fun to watch because the Patriots have a number of pretty good impact linebackers. Some guys that they drafted, some guys that they brought in free agency. Um, I think that battle is going to be the most interesting outside of quarterback. Um, because I think that obviously have high tower back, but you have a lot of young guys that you want to make sure that they're getting, you know, enough 
playing time. You know, guys like Jennings, Uche, and Ronnie Perkins. You know, it'd be interesting to see how the Patriots utilize guys like that. You know, I think it's great that they have Van Noy back. You obviously brought in a big-time player in Matt Judon, who I think is going to just make this group even more dangerous. I'd be interested to see what kind of role Jawan Bentley has this season. You know, I think that he was the guy that played a lot of, you know, played a lot of time at linebacker last season, you know, and primarily because you had Hightower who opted out last season. Um, But I think that Hightower may not be, you know, the big impact player that we all expect him to be. I think there's a possibility that maybe he's, you know, it takes him a little bit to get back into the swing of things. But I think that just having his leadership around is going to be huge for this group because I think it's really going through a bit of a facelift over the last couple of years that they're, you know, bringing in younger guys that they think can be big parts of their defense, you know, for the future. When you think about Jennings, Uche, and Perkins, who they brought in um, in the last couple drafts, I think that, you know, this will play into our uh, thought about Stephon Gilmore. You know, cornerback is going to be really interesting because, you know, outside of Gilmore, the Patriots really don't have a lot of depth in that um, outside cornerback position. You know, I think that you look at a guy like Jalen Mills, he's probably going to be a guy that plays more in the interior, Um, you know, but I think it's opening up opportunities for players like um, guys who were on their practice squad for most of the year last year, um, D'Angelo Ross, D-Virgin. Uh, Miles Bryant, Jawan Williams, you know, Michael Jackson. Those are all guys that I think are going to be asked to do a lot, especially if Gilmore doesn't come back. Um, but I think if you think about most of the other defensive backs, you know, Duggar is more of a safety. J.C. Jackson, you know, is going to be your big time guy that you see a lot of top receivers matching up against. You know, Jonathan Jones has been really solid. But again, he's a guy that plays on the interior, is a pretty solid defensive back on the inside, but you don't really have a lot on the outside. You know, guys like McCourty and Adrian Phillips are safeties, are guys that play closer to the line. So that's going to be very interesting. You know, I don't think that there's any more latest on Gilmore, you know, unfortunately, I think as we get closer to training camp. But, you know, I think that you ultimately, ultimately see the Patriots sign him I just think that the Patriots have to know that they're in a really tough situation if they don't re-sign him. Because I just think that me personally, I don't think I have enough confidence in what else the Patriots have in terms of cornerback position. You know, most of the guys that I mentioned in terms of being big impact players are guys that play on the inside with Jalen Mills and Jonathan Jones specifically. You know, J.C. Jackson's going to be the other guy that they use on the outside, but you know, I just think that it's, I don't know, you you are running a big risk if you don't re-sign Gilmore. And I think that the Patriots really kind of have to do that. Um, and it's just, yeah, I think you want to have a good solid defense because you really don't know what you're going to get from the offense. You know, I know that you have a lot better weapons this season. You know, you have a lot better, and you have a lot more in terms of offensive talent, but you know, you really don't know what you're going to get from that quarterback position. You're not going to be scoring, you know, 27 to 30 points a game. That's just not how you're going to win. And so I think for the Patriots to be as deep as they can be 
defensively, you got to bring Gilmore back. I think that that's pretty, pretty obvious to me. Um, the other kind of interesting battle that I think will be kind of cool to watch is the kicker. Uh, obviously, Nick Folk is back, but the Patriots obviously signed an undrafted free agent, Quinn Norton, who had kicked at Michigan, I think, most recently. I think that's going to be an interesting battle to see. Um, Nick Folk obviously was excellent for the Patriots last season. Uh, was honestly one of the better players on the team. Um, but I think his job is probably fairly safe. But I think that the Patriots could have found a uh, diamond in the rough, if you will. You know, in a kicker like Norton, who has kicked in a lot of major, you know, pretty big college games. So that will be interesting to just take a take some looks at that position battle. I don't expect that, you know, Folk is going to lose his job, you know, unless something crazy happens, but that will be something kind of interesting to um, take a look at. So obviously, as we mentioned, all the Patriots uh, draft picks have signed their rookie contracts. Uh, Christian Barmore, I think, was the last one to sign yesterday. Uh, Ronnie Perkins had signed his a few days prior Um, So good to see Patriots get all the guys signed and all the guys are ready to go. You know, I think that um, in terms of the biggest impact, you know, I think uh, Barmore and Perkins are probably going to be the two guys that you probably see the most, you know, unless the quarterback situation changes, in which case you'd see a lot of Mac Jones, obviously. Um, Some other notes from around the NFL, the Cowboys will be on hard knocks. I think I had mentioned this a few weeks ago when the news had come out, but um, that's just going to be great content, great energy. It's always a fun, uh, a fun thing to watch on on HBO, whatever team they follow. But the Cowboys, you know, obviously, probably the most polarizing team in uh, American football. Their their football, they're um, in the NFL. I don't know what I was saying there. Um, I know that a lot of people around here would argue that. You know, the Patriots are the most polarizing team that, you know, most likely you get a lot of negative reactions about the Patriots if you're not from here. Um, But um, I think that, you know, anytime you have the Dallas Cowboys in a, you know, an environment where you're going to see, you know, all kinds of stuff, I think, you know, that they're the most interesting team to go on this, um, to go on hard knocks. So, you know, for those of you hoping the Patriots will do it, Probably won't ever do it. I could not see them ever doing it, really. Um, you know, as long as Bill Belichick is the coach, I don't think the Patriots want to give any team any type of edge, you know, on them. I don't think you can really get any edge from a TV show. But, you know, that will be interesting to see. I think that that will start in a few weeks. The Cowboys will be followed at training camp. I think it's four or five episodes. Um, but it's always really interesting to watch it. Um, so that will be curious to see. Uh, from around the NFL, uh, Tom Brady obviously had an interview with uh, Jim Gray the other day. You know, didn't really say anything, you know, really crazy. You know, it'd be interesting to see what kind of reception he gets when the Patriots uh, host the Buccaneers in week four. You know, I can't realistically see many people booing him. You know, I think a lot of us, some of us, you know, including myself, still kind of harbor some ill feelings towards him. Now it's not you know, crazy, but I think that, you know, you're going to get a great reception uh, for Brady as he's had, you know, arguably the best football career of, of any football player. So 
that will definitely be interesting to see. Fred Warner, the 49ers linebacker, got a big contract the other day, so making him the highest paid linebacker in the NFL. Um, the Cowboys, I think, have opened training camp. You have some teams that I think are opening this week, and then most of the teams open next week, including the Patriots. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, it'll be a fun. I think it will be a fun training camp and a fun preseason. Uh, Patriots' first preseason game is August twelfth, um, so they have until next week, until the twelfth, to get ready for their uh, preseason opener against. Washington. They're playing Washington, Philadelphia, and the Giants for their three preseason games. So that's probably going to do it for football. We'll move on to the NBA, move on to the association, the Milwaukee Bucks, newly crowned champions on Tuesday night. So they come all the way back to beat the Suns in four straight games after dropping the first two. Um, and I'll be honest, I really thought that the Suns were going to run away with this series, you know, based on the way they played in the first two games, really kind of took it to the Bucks, and you were thinking, okay, you know, here's a Suns team that is really committed, you know, to getting that championship, but, you know, they come back to Milwaukee and everything changed. Um, you know, the Bucks blow out the Suns in game three. I think that that wasn't a game I was super surprised that the Bucks won. You know, you figure they're coming back home. Fans are going to be crazy. They play with a lot of energy, and they did, and they won. You know, but then obviously, Game Four I think was the biggest game in the series. The Bucks were able to get back in the series. You know, Giannis had that great block late in the game, and the Bucks were able to hang on. And then they steal Game Five from the Suns. Game Five probably was the best game of the series, um, and the Bucks steal it. You know, tremendous play by. Uh, Drew Holiday at the toward the end of regulation with the steal and then the alley oop pass to Giannis. You know that really was the play that you know turned the series around. You know the Suns were down by about ten points with a few minutes left. You know Booker has the ball; they have a chance to take the lead. You know which really would have been a back breaking loss uh, for the Bucks in Game Five. But you know Holiday, I think, ended up being the difference in this series. I know that Giannis won MVP. You know. Middleton had a number of games where he knocked down shots late in the game. But I think, honestly, that play was the biggest play of the series. And um, Holiday was excellent defensively in this whole series. I know he had some games where he didn't shoot well, wasn't really as involved in terms of scoring. But I think, you know, had his best game in Game 5, which was the game that mattered. 27 points, 13 assists, and then had the game-changing steal. Um, That was just... There were a few games in this series that just were excellent basketball to watch. Um, And I think that a lot of us were not really sure about what the finals were going to bring, you know, in a series without um, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, you know, the first time in, you know, maybe it was 13 years or something like that. The first time a final series had been played without one of those three players. So, you know, really was... Some great basketball. It really was good quality basketball. I think that you saw a lot of good quality basketball, you know, in the, in these whole playoffs. Um, and then the Bucks able to hold on in Game Six to win the series. Giannis with 50 points in Game Six, winning Finals MVP, and just you know, I know I said a lot of positive things about DeAndre Ayton when we started this series, but I think you know you're looking at Giannis who 
honestly put on a display that makes you think twice about who the best player on the planet might be. And I think that, you know, he was obviously spectacular. Anytime you score 50 points in a basketball game, you know, it's a pretty big deal. You know, much less doing it in a, in a, in, you know, a, a closeout game of an NBA finals. Um, but I also thought it was interesting some of the comments that Giannis made after, you know, winning it, making the comments about the fact that he didn't join a super team that he chose to kind of do it the hard way. And, you know, I think that there might be some uh, veiled criticism of some other players who um, have just had decided to join uh, super teams instead of doing it, quote unquote, the hard way, as he put it. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. I thought that you know, it says a lot about him that he was willing to stay in Milwaukee and, you know, sign that big long-term deal to say that, hey, I have, you know, loyalty to this team and I'm going to try my damnedest to bring a championship back to the city. And he did exactly that. You know, Chris Middleton is also a guy that deserves a lot of praise. A really long journey for him. A second-round pick, you know, was traded a few times, you know, and really has done a tremendous job of making a name for himself, and he was really good in these playoffs. You know, I think that the Bucks really did all they could to go all in, and it worked out. You know, I was one of the first people that criticized them for the Drew Holiday trade because I really thought that they were giving up way too much. But, you know, if it works, it works. If you win a championship, obviously, the gamble pays off. So, you know, credit to the Bucks. You know, I think it's going to be very, very challenging for them to repeat, but I really wouldn't count Giannis out based on the uh, performance that he put on in Game 6 and in the Finals. You know, average 35 a game. It's only the special players can average, you know, those statistics in an NBA Finals. So uh, big credit to the Bucks. big credit to Giannis. Um, the Bucks also got some great performances throughout the playoffs off their bench. You know, Bryn Forbes was a guy that could always knock down a three. He wasn't used as much in the NBA Finals, but, you know, you saw Bobby Portis become just a big-time, you know, energy player that really arguably made the difference in that Game 6, in that closeout game. You know, he made the difference with his energy, his knockdown shooting, you know, and just kind of being a guy that get the crowd going. And I think that you know, whenever you win a championship, obviously it's all about the star players, and especially in the NBA it is, but you always need to have those role players that can step up and give you big minutes. Now, Pat Connaughton was also another player that stepped up, um, obviously a Darlington native, it was so really cool to see him win his first championship, but he was another player, you know, that came in, gave you good hustle, hustle minutes, knocked down threes, and really just was an excellent player. Now, I think that in terms of what the Celtics can possibly emulate, not saying the Celtics need to go out and trade for, you know, Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton, but I think that in terms of what you're looking for maybe in free agency is signing someone like Bobby Portis who can give you great energy, can kind of do a little bit of everything, can be someone that can score, that can rebound and play hard defense. And I think that you know, he held his own when he had to guard Tevin Booker one-on-one. Um, so I think for the Celtics to look for someone who is kind of a, a stretch big, someone that can stretch the floor, but can also play solid defense and can rebound 
and can be just an all-around big-time energy player. Um, and I think the Celtics really were missing a player like that this season. But I think, yeah, if they can find someone like that, I think it really would go a long way for this team. So um, the Bucks beating the Suns, you know, I think that you have... Um, You have a team in the Bucks that I think obviously is going to be a threat to repeat. I don't really think that's going to happen. Um, I think the Suns are a team that certainly could get back to the finals in the next few years. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what Chris Paul decides on his future. Obviously, you know, the Lakers are probably going to be heavily interested in his services um, in the offseason. But I think that, you know, he could still be a big-time player for the Suns. And I think the Suns have a great combo in Booker and Aiton, and I think really just need to fill out the roster around them. You know, I think that they got exposed for um, their lack of size in this series, but, you know, they're a team that just is comprised of a really good group of players, an outstanding head coach in Monty Williams, um, and I think that they've been successful in building a culture in Phoenix and being a place that, you know, potential free agents can look at and say, hey, I want a piece of that. You know, I want to be a part of that, you know, much like the culture the Miami Heat have had for so many years that, you know, it can come to the attention of free agents and say, hey, I want to go play there, you know, not because of a destination, but because of a culture. And I think that, you know, Phoenix, their run is going to go a long way in the future of their franchise. Um, so I call me crazy. I think the Suns have a better chance of getting back to the finals than the Bucks do, because I think that the teams in the East are going to reload. You know, Brooklyn is going to be really good again. They're probably, you know, not going to have the injuries that they had this past season. You know, I think every team in the East is probably going to get better. Um, and obviously the Bucks will have a target on their back. We'll have the biggest target on their back next season. Um, I will also say that the NBA Finals got a sizable, you know, uh, difference in ratings this year you know, from last year. Um, and obviously I think it makes sense that more people watch because it wasn't the bubble finals. And, you know, I think that that makes sense, but I think also, you know, it proves that fans came back to the game and fans obviously came back to two arenas in, in droves. And I think it was, it was great to see, but, you know, I think that great to see that validation that the NBA is indeed, you know, kind of getting back to normal in terms of, you know, their ratings. So I think that that was good to see, um, so I think as far as other kind of NBA news from around the league, um, Okongwu from the, from the Hawks, um, who played some good minutes for them in the playoffs, uh, will have surgery and will be out for six months. So kind of a sizable blow for the Hawks. Um, obviously, Chris Paul uh, mentioned after the game he is not considering retirement, is going right back at it. Be curious to see if it's with the Suns or it's with a different team. Um, the Nets opened as uh, betting favorites to win the championship. Uh, next season, the Lakers and the Bucks followed in that order, which was kind of interesting. But I think that, you know, the Bucks are going to have a very hard time repeating. Obviously, it's a lot of things can change, you know, between now and the start of the season and the start of next year's playoffs. Um, but I think, yeah, the Bucks are going to have a hard time. And, yeah, I would say that's my hot take that the Suns, uh, we'll get back to the finals before the Bucks do. Uh, so that is probably it for the rest of the NBA, like NBA basketball. Talking about 
Team USA as they begin their Olympic play, I think, on Saturday. It makes sense for us to touch on kind of an Olympic basketball preview, if you will. One last little note on the NBA. The Summer League will start August 8th and go to the 17th. The Celtics will have a number of young players playing in that. Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, uh, Carson Edwards, Yam Madar, who was their second-round pick in the draft last season, will probably play. Um, So that will be interesting to see what the Celtics can do in Summer League as they have some players that will be able to participate in that for the first time as they were unable to do it last season because of the pandemic. So we will get to um, an Olympic basketball preview. Uh, Team USA will start with their first game on Sunday morning against France at 8 a.m. U.S. is in a group with France, the Czech Republic, and Iran. The roster, the official roster at the moment, is um, as follows. Bam Adebayo, uh, Devin Booker, uh, Kevin Durant, Jeremy Grant, Draymond Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Keldon Johnson, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard, JaVale McGee, Jason Tatum, and Chris Middleton. So um, it was, I think, initially reported that Zach Levine um, would not be joining the team in Tokyo um, because of health and safety protocols. Um, but he has cleared them, so he will rejoin the team uh, today, which is Thursday. Uh, Bradley Beal and Kevin Love um, unable to play Kevin Love with um, an injury. And then Bradley Beal, because of health and safety protocols, they will be unable to go. Um, it will be you know interesting to see uh, Booker, Middleton, and Holiday you know, join the team after just playing in the finals. Uh, in terms of the coaches kind of the the coaches that you'll probably see most prominently featured uh greg popovich steve kerr lloyd pierce and jay wright so it sounds like this olympics will have a a new group format three groups of four instead of two groups of six so team usa obviously their first game against france on monday and then the u.s will play iran at 12.40 a.m. on Wednesday morning, if I don't believe, or if if I'm not mistaken. Um, And then July 31st, they will play at Czech Republic at 8 a.m. Quarterfinals take place August 2nd and the 3rd. Semifinals on the 5th, the bronze medal game on the 7th, and the gold medal game on the 6th. So um, Team USA, you know, obviously is going to be under a lot of pressure. You know, the team that is most expected to you know, win the gold medal, you know, but I think that as you've seen in the NBA in the last, you know, handful of years, there are a lot of international players that have come in and done incredibly well. So, you know, I think that obviously the tournament is Team USA's to lose, but, you know, they have to be very, very careful um, and not, you know, get overconfident in these games because, you know, Team USA is going to have a target on their back and teams are going to play their absolute hardest against Team USA, and so I think a player like Kevin Durant is a player to watch because he's, you know, clearly the most important player on Team USA, and there's going to be a lot on his shoulders, and there's going to be a lot said about him if Team USA does not win the gold medal, um, that I think some people would use it as kind of a stain on his legacy, if you will. Um, No, I think, sure, you can 
you know, buy into all that. But I think that it's, you know, clearly a big opportunity for him, you know, to kind of be the guy on a team for the first time in really his days on the Thunder. So I think Team USA obviously is not the, it's not the most talented team that they've ever brought to the finals. I think that that's obvious. You know, they don't have the services of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, you know, guys like that. They don't have, you know, the big star power that maybe Team USA did in 2016 or 2012 um, or 2008. You don't have that big level of talent. You know, obviously there is still talent on the team, not to say that there's not, but I think that you look at some of the guys that I think in a perfect world probably would not be on the team. Um, JaVale McGee, I thought was an interesting choice for them to ask him. But then again, you know, Kevin Love opted out or, or, or withdrew, excuse me, at kind of a late time. So there really wasn't, probably wasn't a lot of players for Team USA to choose from because at that point there were probably players that had said, oh, you know, I'm not going to play for whatever reason, whether rehabbing an injury or, you know, what have you. So, you know, I think that it's it's an opportunity for some of these guys in Team USA to prove that they can, you know, be big-time players. I think Jason Tatum has a lot to prove. Um, I don't think that it's a lot of pressure on him. You know, this is the first time at the Olympics for, for him and some of the other guys. Um, so I think in terms of other players to watch on other teams, Luka Doncic obviously is going to be kind of the big name that gets a lot of attention, you know, not on Team USA. So um, he will be an exciting player to watch. Uh, Marc Gasol playing for Spain, and Pau Gasol is also, um, will, will also play for uh, the Spanish team. Rudy Gobert obviously will play for France, and you have a couple of other players, uh, Evan Fournier, Nicolas Batum, who will play for France, so they will possibly be a they will possibly be a team that could uh, be an issue for the United States. Australia is also another team as they have uh, a big time amount of um, NBA talent. Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, uh, Aaron Baines, Matisse Thybul. Um, you'll have a number of NBA players in that team. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be unlike most Olympics. I think you're going to see Team USA you know, be, be pushed, be, you know, really be pushed competitively. Um, by teams that, you know, really, really want to, you know, beat team USA and, you know, try to medal and prove that they are, you know, the best team in the world. So that will be interesting. So team USA starts, their uh, quest for a gold medal on Sunday morning, 8 a.m. against France. So we will move on. We'll move on to talk about the Red Sox and some baseball stuff. Um, the Red Sox obviously opening up their second half to the season to kind of a little bit of a rocky start. Uh, the Red Sox, you know, unable to play their first game out of the break after the Yankees had a number of COVID uh, positives in the organization to some players, including Aaron Judge. They were unable to play on Thursday night. Red Sox did return to play the Yankees and win their first game back from the break 4 to nothing. But the Red Sox started to be a little bit un uneven in their next two losses to the Yankees. 
as the offense really struggled in the next two games. The Red Sox lost both nine to, or three to one and nine to one. But the Red Sox bounced back. They did uh, an excellent job of bouncing back in their next two games, including last night, a 7-4 win over Toronto. The Red Sox take both games that they played in Buffalo. One of the games was postponed that they will play on August 7th, I believe. So the Red Sox, you know, getting right back on track with two um, offensive explosions. The Red Sox hit five home runs last night and then obviously at 13 runs um, on Tuesday night, or Monday night, excuse me, um, including eight runs in the first inning, really seemed like they were um, on a mission in that game and then were last night with a number of home runs. Uh, Kike Hernandez has been red hot over the last two games. Uh, Hunter Renfro, obviously, with a couple home runs in the two games against Toronto. So the Red Sox offense, you know, really seeming to pick back up after being pretty quiet against that against the Yankees in those two games. And, you know, kind of just was a strange series against the Yankees. You had a lot of weird stuff that happened. Obviously, had that game postponed. You had that game in the rain on Saturday night in which a lot of crazy stuff happened. You know, Alex Verdugo getting hit by a fan throwing the ball back into play. You know, in the rain. You know, rain that looked almost impossible to play in. So, um, yeah, I think you take that game with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, but then the Red Sox just uh, could not do anything, could not do anything right in that Sunday night game. The loss nine to one, but they bounce back, and that's kind of what they've been able to do all season. You know, they take a couple of games where they don't play their best, but then they come right back and, you know, holy cow, scored twenty runs in their last two games, um, including I think eight or nine home runs in those two games. So um, I don't know if it's oh they're back. You know, I think it's good to see that they were able to win a couple games, but um, I think that it's important for them to continue to mash offensively as they can kind of see if they can get a little bit more breathing room in the division because Tampa Bay is right there, just a game back. Uh, The Red Sox will host the Yankees for a four-game set beginning tonight at Fenway. It is Tanner Houck will start against Jordan Montgomery. Uh, The Red Sox obviously bringing up Tanner Houck who was uh, scheduled to pitch on, I think he was scheduled to pitch on Tuesday. Game got postponed, so he will pitch tonight. Red Sox called him up right after the All-Star break. Um, also being called up was Jaron Duran, who had uh, quite the start to his major league career. Uh, was actually originally scheduled to play on Thursday. Game obviously wasn't played, but then he comes in um, on Saturday, getting a hit in his first Major League at bat, a hit up the middle against Garrett Cole, which was a great moment, great moment to see. You know, it's always it's always one of those things that you just love about sports. You know, a player that comes up after being drafted, you know, working hard. Everyone's got to work hard, you know, in the minor leagues to make a name for themselves and comes up in the big leagues against one of the best pitchers in the game, you know, and gets a hit. So I think that that was excellent to see. Then he hit his first Major League home run on Monday night against the Blue Jays, 13-4 to in that Red Sox win. So get his got his first hit, his first home run, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see what his you know, impact is going to be on this Red Sox team because I think that you, the Red Sox, being, were in a position that they really needed legitimate, they needed something legitimate at the top of the order, and 
I know that Kike Hernandez has been really excellent in the last you know couple games. Has had a number of home runs, but I think the Red Sox really need a lot more consistency at the top of the order, um, and that could have been why they brought in Duran, who I think that I think is due for you know some good development in in the major leagues. You know whatever that is, whether it's getting as many at bats as he can, you know getting innings defensively at center field left field, you know, whatever it is. I think that it's, you know, interesting to see that the Red Sox, you know, think that he can be an impact player. Um, and I think unless, you know, he really starts to struggle, you'll probably see him on the major league roster for the rest of the season. Um, and could make things very interesting come deadline time, which, you know, is getting a lot closer. It's about a week away. Um, so I think that you will see, The Red Sox maybe make a move or two. You know, I think it never hurts to get another bullpen arm. I don't think it ever hurts to get a left-handed bat. The Red Sox are a little, um, a little thin left-handed hitting. Ironically, Duran is a left-hand is a left-handed hitter. Um, But I think you could see the Red Sox doing that. But I think you know Duran's call-up and his impact, you know, could could have an impact on what the Red Sox decide to do you know, at the deadline, how they, you know, play in this series against the Yankees. The Red Sox have, you know, eight games coming up against the Yankees and the Blue Jays all at Fenway. So the Red Sox have an opportunity to continue to, you know, hit the ball well offensively and, you know, see if they can get a little bit of breathing room. So um, as far as, you know, what to expect from Duran, you know, I think that you expect to see solid defense. You know, a guy that can get on base, a guy that maybe can be a little bit of an issue on the base paths. You know, if he can be someone that the Red Sox, you know, let him steal some bases. I know the Red Sox are not uh, a team that run on the bases very often, but I think that, you know, adding an element like that, you know, could be huge for the team down the stretch. You know, it's kind of crazy to believe that we are getting closer to the deadline and the Red Sox are, you know, in the position that they're in, 58 and 38 never really thought that that what that that is what their record was going to be at this moment in the season. So, you know, good stuff from the Red Sox, good for them to bounce back in Buffalo. Um the Red Sox obviously hosting the Yankees for four games this weekend tonight. It is Tanner Houck who will pitch against the Yankees. Be interesting to see what he brings. You know, I think in terms of the pitching rotation, you know, with Chris Sale getting closer, He's scheduled to pitch another rehab game in Portland as he had pitched the other night. It pitched, I think, three and two-thirds innings and had only given up a hit or two and had struck out six and played really well. So, you know, he's definitely getting closer. And I think with the Red Sox bringing up Hauk, having Garrett Richards pitch last night, I don't think he was, you know, terrible. He was able to get the win. But I think it's very interesting to see what the Red Sox do with the rotation, you know, is Sale getting even closer. You know, he probably returns in the next few weeks. Be very interesting to see if the Red Sox, you know, move someone to the bullpen or do they try to trade someone? You know, would they try to trade someone like Garrett Richards? I'm not sure what type of value he would get, but I think that, you know, you see that or you see him move to the bullpen or you move Hauk to the bullpen. Be interesting you know, to see what the Red Sox do with all three of those guys, Richard Sale and Hauk. So Hauk will start tonight at Fenway. Made a couple of starts earlier in the season. It's kind of one of the first starts he made um, when there were some guys that I think missed starts early on. 
Um, so obviously Chris Sale with a couple of rehab pitching assignments pitched the other night in Portland will pitch again on Sunday. Um, so in terms of other kind of notes from around baseball, the uh, Blue Jays will be returning to Toronto at the end of the month, July 30th. So actually, ironically, last night as they play the Red Sox, it was their final game in Buffalo, New York. You know, I think that definitely a thanks is due to, you know, Buffalo as they were able to, you know, hold the Blue Jays games for a good part of this season. And then all of last season when they played 60 games or, you know, played the 60 game season last year. So uh, really interesting tidbit on the Blue Jays history. You know, you know, that's going to be a history. That's going to be like a trivia question in 30 or 40 years. Like, oh, where did the Blue Jays have their temporary home, you know, during the pandemic? That will be kind of a cool uh, trivia question. So, yeah, if you think of trivia questions to hold on to and ask again in 30 years, you know, that's something to think about. So uh, that was an interesting note. So the Blue Jays will return uh, to Toronto July 30th. I don't know if they play. They might actually play the Red Sox. I'm not sure. Um, but good to see for them. Good to see them return uh, to Toronto. Um, your men Mercedes from the White Sox has decided to step away from baseball um, the catcher has uh, struggled to hit this season. So, um, you know, wish him the best. Uh, the Orioles have a couple players that landing that will land on the COVID list. I think we'll take a look at the standings really quick as we are, you know, a week, about a week away from the trade deadline. Uh, the Red Sox currently holding a one-game lead over the Rays, who have won seven of their last ten. Uh, the Red Sox have won two straight after losing six of eight. So they are in first place, but Tampa Bay is breathing right down their throats. Um, there's also some kind of some news that has come in over the last few minutes involving a couple of sports. So we'll get to that in a moment, but finish out the standings. So the Blue Jays at the moment, eight games out of first place. The Yankees are seven games out of first place in the East. In the Central, the White Sox have a sizable lead over Cleveland, eight and a half games. The White Sox, uh, with this equaling the same record as the Red Sox at 58 and 38. Houston has a three game lead over Oakland in the American League West. Houston at 58 and 39. The Mets still leading the pace in the NL East, three and a half games up on Philadelphia, four and a half up on Atlanta. The Mets sit at 40. The Mets stand at 50 and 43. The Brewers still have a pretty good lead over the Reds in the Central. They are up by six and a half games, seven and a half up on the Cardinals. Um, and then in the West, you have the San Francisco Giants still leading the pace in Major League Baseball at 60 and 35. They are two games up on the Dodgers, who would be in first place in pretty much every other division in baseball if they weren't in the same division as the Giants. They are two games back, and then the Padres sitting at five and a half back. You know, I don't think a lot's going to change in terms of the wild card in in the National League. You know, you have the Padres who are 56 and 42. There's no team that's, you know, even close to their record um, in terms of that second wild card. So at the moment, you'd see the Dodgers and the Padres play in a wild card game. Um, in the American League, not much has changed. You still have Tampa Bay and Oakland in those wild card spots. 
Um, but yeah, things are getting interesting in the American League East for the Red Sox, so they uh, hopefully can take advantage of these eight home games coming up against the Yankees and the Blue Jays. So now we'll get to you know, some news that has come in. Um, in a memo, I think this was from Commissioner Goodell, said that there is a possibility that you could see um, games that get forfeited um, based on, you know, COVID testing. If, you know, there are unvaccinated teams that have an outbreak, you know, they're going to be forced to to um, forfeit games, which is, you know, kind of crazy to me. But I think that it's something that it's like um, you need to get vaccinated. Like, I, I don't really want to talk about it on the podcast, but, you know, you could get vaccinated. It's not that hard. Um, I kind of can't believe that there are a good, healthy contingent of NFL players that are just, you know, not getting vaccinated or, you know, whatever they say about, like, doing their own research. It's like, get vaccinated. Well, like, what are we doing here? Um, so, obviously, that's kind of a, a little bit of a threat, I think, to be like, you know, we're not going to reschedule games if, you know, there are teams that, you know, don't reach the, the, the vaccination threshold. I think that's what I'm gathering, um, that, you know, it's something that it's like, you know, if, they, if there's an outbreak and the team is, and some of the team is unvaccinated, you know, they're going to start forfeiting games, which is, you know, kind of crazy to hear, but um, it's it's pretty serious. You know, I think that you have to uh, start taking these things seriously as, you know, we've been in this for, for more than a year. So um, that's kind of interesting. The other bit of news, the Flyers trading Shane Gostisbehere to the Arizona Coyotes for a draft pick. A little bit of a salary dump here. I think the uh, Flyers trying to get off of Gostisbehere's contract and Arizona obviously is a team that has a lot of cap space. So be interesting to see. Not sure if Arizona decides to flip Gostas Bear again. Um, you know, he was once a guy that was a really talented um, offensive defenseman, has really kind of leveled off of the, over the past couple of years um, and kind of has become a liability defensively. So um, not sure what that means for Arizona. You know, does he play for Arizona? Does Arizona try to flip him? Um, I think it made sense for, for the Flyers to... Um, try to get off of that contract. I think he is due four and a half million over the next two seasons, I believe. So yeah, that's, that's what we got at the moment. I think I'm going to try to see if I can find out more about the um, other news. Uh, There was a couple of NBA news. The Warriors are trying to trade the seventh overall pick and John Collins uh, will be a restricted free agent this summer as the Hawks extend a qualifying offer to him. So this obviously means that the um, there there can be any any team that could sign him to a contract and then the Bucks or the Hawks, excuse me, have a chance to match the contract. So um, this is what it says from the report um, on Bleacher Report. If team has a COVID-19 outbreak among unvaccinated players and the game can't be rescheduled, that, t- that a team will forfeit. So I think I said that wrong, that um, meaning that if a game is attempted to be rescheduled and can't be, then it just will be a forfeit. So I think I thought it was if 
you know, there's an outbreak, they're not rescheduling games. That's that's not what it is. It is if the game is unable to be rescheduled, then it will just be a forfeit. Um, so that will kind of be interesting to, to watch out for if that happens um, in the regular season. Obviously, you saw that um, a couple of times in the NCAA tournaments for the men and the women that there were teams that had to uh, forfeit because of issues, um, because of possibly an outbreak in the team. So, you know, that will be something to keep an eye on. Um, so I think that that probably is it for our for our baseball. Um, I think we will get to the Revolution, who had a big-time win last night in Miami, getting five goals on the board against uh, Inter-Miami, who is a new expansion team this season, um, along with Austin FC. So the Revolution on the road with a big win. Obviously, they had won on the road in Atlanta over the weekend. So the Revolution continuing to be a team of road warriors. They've won their last three road games, or actually I think it's a three-game unbeaten streak on the road. So the Revolution have been an excellent road team. Obviously, they've been an excellent team all season as they are currently leading Major League Soccer with 30 points, nine wins, three losses, and three draws. So the Revolution are a point ahead of Seattle. Um, So now, as we just finished talking about the breaking news, uh, Taylor Hall's contract is now official. The Bruins re-signing him four years for $6 million per season. So good news for the Bruins. They got Taylor Hall signed. Um, now they can focus on some other guys. So back to the Revolution. Revolution one point ahead of Seattle for the best record um, in Major League Soccer. Revolution five goals last night. Uh, two goals from Arnor Tristison, who uh, scored his first two goals of the season. Adam Buxa. Also with two goals last night, he is now tied for the team lead with seven goals with Gustavo Bo. So the Revolution just continued to be a really dominant team. Um, obviously, we got a question last week about Andrew Farrell, but uh, the Revolution have been an excellent offensive team. Uh, Brad Knighton, you know, I think is doing as well as you can expect as being a backup goalie. You know, I think that he bounced back in the last two games. Uh, didn't really face a lot of shots last night. Um, and didn't really face a whole lot against Atlanta over the weekend. But the Revolution, I think, doing their best to pile up as many points as they can while uh, Matt Turner is out. It also was announced that uh, Henry Kessler has been called up to the Gold Cup team for Team USA. Uh, team USA will start their uh, knockout state, or knockout games on Sunday night against Jamaica in the, I think it's the quarterfinals. So uh, good stuff there for, for Henry Kessler, um, who's been you know pretty solid for the Revolution for parts of last season and most of this season. Um, but it's just good to see the Revolution getting goals from a bunch of different, different players. You know, Teal Bunbury got in on the action last night, scoring his second goal. Um, and the Revolution just, the good times continue to roll for them. The Revolution will host... Uh, Montreal on Sunday at 6 o'clock and then the Revolution will play another game next Saturday against the Red Bulls. So things continue to to go really well for the Revolution. 
after that tough loss to Toronto. The Revolution actually had a three-game winless streak, uh, but the Revolution were able to get wins over their last two games, both on the road, which is always good to see. So before we go, I think it makes sense to touch on the Olympics that will start uh, tomorrow. Opening ceremonies are tomorrow. It's always a, a fun thing for me to watch. You know, I think it's, um, it's, it, it, I think it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, the games are going on during a global pandemic and during a time that, you know, arguably they probably shouldn't be played. You know, if it's if it's not safe enough for fans, is it truly safe enough for the athletes? So, um, you know, I think you have to keep those things in mind. But I think, yeah, if you're a person that's that likes to watch the Olympics, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it, you know, because it's going to be, you know, obviously the best athletes in the world competing. Um, some new sports to watch, three-on-three uh, -three basketball, uh, skateboarding, BMX freestyle, uh, surfing, sport climbing, karate, and then the return of baseball and softball. Obviously, there is soccer being played. The uh, U.S. women dropping their first game the other day against Sweden, three to nothing. So they are kind of uh, behind the eight ball a little bit, but, you know, never count that team out. I would never, ever do that. Uh, gymnastics is also going to be something that I think everyone should make a point to tune into. You know, Simone Biles just is, I mean, it's just, there are certain athletes where you just literally can't describe them, that they are just so unbelievably talented at what they do, that it's just like, you're in awe about the things that they do. You know, me, in terms of being the person that I am, I'm always really impressed by people that are gymnastic that are gymnasts because some of the things that they can you know control their body in midair and do all kinds of stuff like it's just uh it's 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 an amazing thing to watch so um, if you don't watch any olympics you know make sure that you either watch you know i think three things for me at least are going to be things i will watch uh, u.s women's soccer uh, Simone Biles and USA Basketball. I think that's going to be uh, what I watch. Team USA Basketball men's and women's will be interesting to watch. So enjoy it all. Opening ceremonies tomorrow. And that probably that probably does it for me this week for um, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. You can uh, always listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Always appreciate any ratings on Apple Podcasts or review anything you want. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, everyone have a great weekend. It's supposed to be beautiful out. Go enjoy it. And we will talk to you next week.